2: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
3: We, as I said, will be touring the horizon this evening on the Mother of All Talk Shows. If you are listening to us in crystal clear FM in Washington, D.C., as President Donald Trump used to do, it's 105.5 FM. You can listen in... Not so crystal clarity on AM right across the United States, from coast to coast, from Burning City to Burning City. You can listen across the whole world, of course, on SputnikNews.com. But if you are watching, and half a million of you did last week, on any of the platforms that we're on, please tell other people. If you're watching on Facebook, either my own Facebook or RT's multiple Facebook pages, please share with all your contacts, all your friends, because algorithm is always lurking, seeking to divert attention away from what is the biggest show of its kind on the entire planet. It is the Open University of the Airwaves. There are no tuition fees, and you are positively encouraged to speak back to the somewhat undereducated teacher that is me. You can watch on YouTube. If you're there on my YouTube, please subscribe. You can watch on Twitter, on Twitch, on Telegram, on every platform that you could shake a stick at. But the important thing is that we continue to grow and grow this tremendous open university of the airwaves. As I say, we'll be dealing with issues large and small. You might think the issue of whether it's Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays is small, but the British civil service doesn't agree with you because they've just issued a pronunciamento telling civil servants to avoid the term Merry Christmas because it might offend Muslims. This is a perennial lie. I have never met a Muslim who was remotely offended by anybody using the term Christmas. After all, this is a predominantly, if nominally, Christian country. Why would you change the name of arguably your premier holiday, the Christmas holiday, to avoid offending people who are not remotely offended? It is white people being offended on behalf of black people that is so prevalent in the cancel culture, in the woke wonderland in which we currently live. Speaking of which, I am Morning Star Bear. She wept and the crowd cheered. In fact, they rose as a standing ovation in Saskatchewan University, in a TED talk to a complete fraudster who had risen to the heights of being Canada's number one standard bearer for the rights of indigenous people. First nation people, they call them there, the original Americans. She actually from Russia. Her family, her antecedents were farmers in Russia. Another Russian act of disinformation transformed herself right down to the eagle feathers, the headdress, the full Native American garb. And up and up she rose through the ranks of academia, through the political ranks, and the liberals, dewy-eyed, cheered and cheered and cheered and it was all a fraud. How many times has that happened? How many white people are appointing themselves as the spokespeople for minorities that never asked them to be their spokesperson in the first place and don't actually hold many of the views ascribed to them uh, by their white champions. The Canadian example, only the latest. There was a spectacular one in the United States where a woman identified as black and went on to become a more than radical black leader, except she wasn't black and she wasn't leading any black people. She was leading white liberals with guilt-loaded, on both of their shoulders into controversies that were never chosen by the minorities being championed. And there are plenty of people like that here in Britain. The witch hunters of JK Rowling, for example, are overwhelmingly men. They're not women, they're not even trans women. They are male liberals who are witch hunting the most successful author in British history bar none, who sold more copies than Shakespeare and Dickens put together. They are witch hunting her to the point that the Harry Potter cast are about to have a party to commemorate the anniversary of Harry Potter, but without J.K. Rowling, who gave them all a job. If I sound angry about all of this, it's because I am. We're asking on the poll, will you be wishing Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays? Cheer me up after my nightmare day and get voting on my Twitter feed, on my Telegram and on my YouTube channel about that. Speaking of the channel, uh, the manslaughter, if not murder, of 27 souls, mainly men, but including women, including teenagers, and including at least one small child, was the story that dominated at least a day in the British mass media, maybe two, maybe they squeezed it out for a second day. But just like with the attack on the Liverpool Women's Hospital, they quickly put it down because it didn't suit the agenda of the people who dominate our political class and our mass media. I refer to the aforementioned liberals. Why do I say so? Well, it's absolutely abundantly clear that these souls were lost because the French authorities turned a blind eye to their attempt to illegally leave France and illegally enter the United Kingdom in bad weather conditions in a 30-foot rubber dinghy. As any fool knoweth, the English Channel is a very treacherous piece of water. To allow innocents, including children, including at least one pregnant woman, to set off on such a journey which has been procured through gangsterism, through organized crime, through the paying of, it's said, two million pounds a day to illegal people trafficking is a crime against humanity committed by President Macron and his government in France. Some fools who don't have the nerve to openly advocate in the political arena for no borders at all, for six billion people to be allowed untrammeled to move into the space lived in by one billion people, they tried to turn the blame onto the government of the United Kingdom. Now the government of the United Kingdom is guilty of many, many things. If it was up to me, most of them, if not all of them, would be behind bars in a prison cell this evening for the many crimes that they have already committed. But this was not one of them, for a multiple of reasons. One of the crimes the British government has committed is not to take their fair share of refugees. Every country in the world has a moral and legal duty to accept their fair share of refugees. And we have taken nothing like our fair share of refugees. Not even factoring in that our country and the United States of America have created more refugees than all the other countries in the world, and therefore should be paying a premium of taking more than their per capita and their income per capita share of those refugees. By which I mean people with a well-founded and legitimate claim to danger and political persecution in the country from which they have fled. But many of the migrants on board these rubber dinghies, well, all of them are actually setting sail from safe countries, Belgium and France, but most of them are coming from countries where there is no war, where there has been no war, and ipso facto cannot qualify under the act, as people with a legitimate, well-founded fear of persecution. Let me take the example of some of the tragically lost in the English Channel last week. It seems that at least a quarter of them, maybe more, were from Iraqi Kurdistan. There has been no war or even sanctions in Iraqi Kurdistan for more than 30 years. More than 30 years ago, the British and American state effectively made Iraqi Kurdistan a client state, a base from which to launch military operations and economic and social destabilizations against the Republic of Iraq. There is no persecution in Iraqi Kurdistan. Or if there is, what are the British and American outlets there who run the country with the duopoly of uh, the political structures in Iraqi Kurdistan doing about it, saying about it? There is no fighting there. There has been no fighting there for 30 years. There is no oppression there. In fact, it's touted by the British government itself as one of the only democracies in the entire Middle East. Now, unless you are someone who has fallen so foul of that political duopoly in Iraqi Kurdistan that you are personally being persecuted, then you are not, in fact, a refugee under the meaning of the act. Ditto Kosovo. There has been no war in Kosovo for 20 years. In fact, Kosovo is another NATO international protectorate. So ipso facto, there cannot be political oppression in Kosovo, can there? Because we are running Kosovo, which we illegally Rested out of Serbia as we arrested so much of the former Yugoslavia into our orbit for geopolitical reasons. It follows you cannot be a refugee from Kosovo unless you are, for example, a part of the Serbian minority being oppressed by the Kosovan majority which Britain and the United States funds, arms and gives political and diplomatic cover to. Do you see where I'm going with this? We're not taking enough refugees. We're not taking remotely enough refugees. Nothing like our share but somebody landing on your beach in a rubber dinghy and melting off into the night is not a refugee. When they're fleeing from France and Belgium, landing on your beach and disappearing, by definition they are not refugees, they are illegal migrants. And unless you're one of the Trotskyites or liberals or free market capitalists that doesn't believe in borders, You have to accept the right, the responsibility, the duty of the British state to protect its borders. And here's the greatest irony of all what is supposed to be a conservative government that wraps itself in the flag when it counts, that sends soldiers all the way to the Polish Belarusian border to protect? the Polish border is doing absolutely nothing, nothing to protect our own border, unless you count escorting those that didn't melt away from the beachhead to a hotel for a long but indeterminate period. Whilst a totally dysfunctional home office tries to process their applications for political asylum. Witness the man I referred to earlier that was today deported for the third time in two years from Britain. Well, he's only a people trafficker. Why should I be so hard on him? Or I could close with a much more serious example. The man who blew himself up in Liverpool but who intended either to blow up the people at the Remembrance Sunday ceremony in Liverpool Cathedral, according to some reports, or the new mothers, pregnant women, and newborn babies in the Liverpool Women's Hospital, was denied asylum seven years ago, but was still here in Britain, even though in the interim, He'd been sectioned under the Mental Health Act for running around the centre of Liverpool holding a large machete. How's that for a home office? How's that for a Ministry of the Interior? I told you it's going to be a hot show tonight. Now the poll is up and running. Will you be wishing Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays? A, Merry Christmas, B, Happy Holidays. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube, on my Telegram. Now, in the interim, Haiti has a new government. Will it be any better than the last one? Well, you've got to go to the Oracle for an answer to that. And his name is Kim Ives, journalist and filmmaker and friend of the show. Kim, welcome back on the mother of all talk shows. Are you filled with joy at the new government in Haiti, or should we reserve judgment?
2: Yeah, I think it's best, George, to reserve judgment. Um, This government is really a new hybrid between what used to be what they called the radical opposition to uh, Jovenel Moïse and the PHTK party of uh, former President. Michel Martelly, Uh, the uh, head of the radical opposition is a guy called Andre Michel. He heads uh, the coalition of sorts that is called the Democratic and Popular Sector. And uh, so their members, as well as those of the primary social democratic party in Haiti called the Fusion, Uh, as well as these PHTK uh, heavyweights are what uh, filled the nine new posts, uh, the the new uh, appointments out of 18 total uh, ministries. So half of them were reshuffled to more or less um, assuage the very impatient uh, uh, opposition, which was beginning to almost get ready to break ties with Ariel Henry, the prime minister, uh, uh, because he had not reshuffled the cabinet. Uh, You know, usually with these cabinet reshufflings, there's a couple of posts which are really key. Uh, Things like interior ministry, justice ministry, foreign affairs, uh, public works to some extent for all the jobs that can be given out. In Haiti, practically the only industry that's functioning is the government. So it's a big deal who gets the jobs as ministers so they can give to their friends and families and partisans uh, jobs um, uh, on the government payroll. Uh, So uh, it's very interesting, though, to look at uh, one particular post, the justice minister. Uh, this is a guy called Berto d'Orsay. He had a sort of, I could say, Lavalas um, lineage and pedigree uh, back in the day, uh, but in 1997 he was <laughs> arrested and spent uh, six months in a Haitian jail for involvement in drug trafficking. Uh, today he is the justice minister wow. and not just the justice minister, but he's also the lawyer for some very big mafioso of the uh, PHTK party, of uh, um, Michel Martelly. And this is important to understand because he's the lawyer for Charles Kiko Saint-Rémy, who is uh, Michel Martelly's brother-in-law and the chief drug trafficker in Haiti. Uh, He is for Dimitri Vorbe, who is one of the big bourgeois uh, individuals who was at great odds with Jovenel Moise, and he was also the uh, uh, lawyer for um, a number of the other families. I could go into more depth if you'd like, uh, the Meuse family, the Colley family, uh, and others. So uh, his, his appointment is very important because one of the things that may may have contributed to Jovenel Moise's July 7th assassination, was his arrest precisely of Sansan La Familia, who was sort of the poster boy for mafia corruption and uh, 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 criminality in Haiti. He was charged with everything under the sun from kidnapping to theft. And uh, he was re-arrested by the Haitian authorities with the cooperation of the Dominicans in May of last year. May 15th. And then two months later, Jovenel Moise was assassinated. So it's looking more and more, George, like Kiko uh, Saint-Rémy and his uh, minions may have had a hand in this assassination of uh, Jovenel Moise. And now we see a justice minister who's basically going to uh, probably free them all.
3: Well, that uh, anticipates my next question. The last time we spoke, the president had just been Murdered, let's uh, call it what it is. He was murdered uh, in front of his wife in his family home. Uh, Everyone said they were determined to get to the bottom of it, including the United States government, which offered uh, all assistance. Haiti is not a massive place. The list of suspects uh, is relatively short. How is the investigation going?
2: Well, it's uh completely on ice, it's completely forgotten. You you wouldn't even know it had happened uh if you were to listen to uh the news uh around Haiti uh these days, because uh the whole focus is on other things, and those other things are primarily the uprising of the vast lumpen proletariat of Port-au-Prince. Um, but the assassination of Jovenel Moise and the calls for justice for Jovenel Moise, because as many problems as people might have had with Jovenel Moise and his uh, bending over for the U.S. in terms specifically of uh, Venezuela, to some extent, uh, Western Sahara too, he opened up an embassy there. So he it was, it was being the um, uh, errand boy of uh, Trump in the final days. But uh, nonetheless, he became something of a martyr. By the fact that this foreign mercenary hit squad came in, machine-gunned him in his bedroom, and now you don't hear anything about it. So, um, uh, you know, they've arrested a bunch of people who are obviously nothing, uh, either dupes uh, like this unfortunate pastor-slash-doctor, Sanon who clearly didn't have the money, means, or anything to to carry out uh, a plot of this size. Uh, This cost millions and millions of dollars, three months of having 30 mercenaries basically on standby in um, (laughs) safe houses throughout Port-au-Prince. So uh, we don't know who's behind it, but the uh, circumstantial evidence points increasingly to the, this uh, bourgeois sector. We talked about it on the last show. Reginald Boulos and Dimitri Vorb <coughs> with uh, uh, Kiko Saint-Rémy. Uh, increasingly, I'm thinking, uh, may have been involved as well.
3: Now, lastly, Kim, and I'm grateful for <coughs> your time, uh, especially as you've plainly got a cough. Uh, you, can you tell us uh, what happened to the... Uh, You mentioned the Lumpan proletarian, the slum dwellers in Port-au-Prince. What happened to the political mobilization that you described to us uh, last time you were on the show?
2: Well, it's still ongoing, George, and even gaining momentum. Um, I would say that there's been a total demonization campaign against this uh, movement Uh, headed by the National Endowment for Democracy, which is a cutout, as you know, of the CIA, does basically the political work uh, that the CIA used to do covertly before it was uh, founded in 1983 under the Reagan administration. And one of their principal tools in uh, doing their work are what they call the human rights organizations in Haiti. Uh, These have been the ones leading the charge against, this uh, front. And the biggest thing, George, I think your listeners and viewers should know is that there's just in the mainstream media, which is another tool of this uh, machine, uh, they, they make a conflation of the uh, criminal gangs, the genuinely criminal gangs, like 400 Marazo, which has uh, now for 15 uh, North American missionaries uh, they're still holding. They released two of them last week. Uh, they had um, uh, kidnapped these 17 missionaries and were demanding $17 million ransom. You don't hear anything about this in the news, the same way as you don't hear about the assassination. Um, uh, there's other gangs like the uh, group in Village de Dieu of Izo, the gang leader of uh, Tilapli's gang in Grand Ravine gabriel and city soleil these are genuinely criminal gangs involved avowedly in uh kidnapping and so forth uh, and in against them rain against them is the g9 the what's called the revolutionary forces of the g9 now who are fighting that criminality that kidnapping the extortion of small merchants the rape that goes on etc and uh, yet the two are conflated, because the, the principal target of the U.S. government, which has Magnitsky sanctions against the leader of this uh, Lumpen proletariat movement, uh, Jimmy Cherizier, uh, is that, you know, this, this could end up leading to a social revolution. They are asking for uh, an overthrow of the system, not just politically by putting in uh, another Um, progressive president, as uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide came into power in 1990 and 2000, but really to take over the the means of production of the bourgeoisie, which owns it. uh, As he always says, it's uh, 85% of the nation's wealth is in the hand of 5% of the population. So this is a very alarming program, as we can imagine, to the U.S. Embassy and its um, allies in Haiti.
3: Kim Ives, you really are the oracle. You're an encyclopedia of the events there. Please stay in touch, and we'll review progress uh, of this new uh, hybrid government uh, in due course. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. The poll is, oh my goodness, uh, thousands are uh, voting on this already. Will you be wishing A, Merry Christmas, 92%, B, happy holidays, 8%. A big defeat for the woke so far. Uh, please note British civil service. Now, we've got, uh, we've got uh, social media already. Uh, Paula Doherty says, It will always be Merry Christmas. Sick to death of the woke trying to cancel us. And Nurdin Abbas says, I'm a Muslim and I'm certainly not offended in the least. Well said. And Attila says, Happy Saturnalia, everyone, as it was before Christmas. Saturnalia, that has a ring to it. Uh, Gregarious George says, Merry or Happy Christmas. I am not an American. And uh, Nice Bloke Phil says, Merry Christmas all the way. We are British, not American. And Alexandra S. says, Keep happy holidays in Yankland, thanks. And keep the USA and its culture out of the UK and Europe, thanks. My apologies to American viewers and listeners if this all sounds a little hostile, as you would uh, put it. Uh, Very frank says, Why is it so bad to wish people Merry Christmas? I can never understand that. It's a holiday due to Christmas. Why can't people call it as such? For the record, he says, I am not a Christian. Let's take uh, one call before the break. Victor is in Greenwich. Victor, welcome.
4: Thank you, George, and it's always a pleasure to hear you and talk to you. Thank you, sir. Um, We were talking, or you were talking, uh, about the migrants wanting to come into the UK. Yeah. Now, I think it's high time... We had some discussion about the implications of all this. Tonight, for want of a cardboard box, people up and down the UK, even here in London, will die because they haven't got a cardboard box to wrap up and keep warming. Meanwhile, year in, year out, Blairite councils up and down the UK have been demolishing... Our remaining council housing stock and selling the land off to property developers who often only advertise the properties in places like Hong Kong because they're only interested in foreign foreign millionaires and billionaires buying them. Many of whom never even live in them. Quite. Indeed, you probably have to be a millionaire now to buy anything, even a shoebox in central London. We've seen them do it with such enthusiasm. They actually managed to lose money on the Aylesbury State in, in uh, Southwark. Uh, that, that's public money, whether the Blairite Council has made private money out of it or not, or gain. We never know. We sometimes wonder. So, with this lack of housing, how do we explain housing these migrants to the poor guy who's going to die tonight for want of a cardboard box freezing to death on the pavements here in the streets?
3: Well, look, Victor, that's very powerful. The first thing that needs to be said, though, is that the man in the cardboard box, or if he's unlucky because he doesn't have a cardboard box, is not on the street because of uh, a migrant on the beach in Cali. Uh, He's on the street because of the economic and political system that we've got here and now. He was already on the street before a single illegal migrant landed on a southern beach. So it's important that we focus the blame for what's wrong in our own society uh, on the people who are actually guilty uh, of the conditions that many of our people are in. Millions of our people are in poverty. Uh, Millions of children are growing up in poverty. That's not the fault of an asylum seeker in Calais. That's the fault of the people that run and benefit from the political and economic system that we've got here. Having said which, it's actually not going to be improved, obviously, uh, by the landing uh, of illegal migrants. Uh, That goes without saying, or ought to go without saying. Uh, So it's not the answer uh, to your question. It's an elaboration of the... Uh, situation that we find ourselves in now, these migrants, because that's what the vast majority of them are, I represented constituents for almost 30 years in parliament. In that time I had to, because it was my duty to, uh, make representation on behalf of thousands of people uh, who were applying for political asylum. At least 95%, maybe 99% of them were not actually asylum seekers uh, or at least likely to succeed in their claim of asylum because they were in fact economic migrants. Against which it should go without saying, I have not the remotest animus. If I was them, I'd be trying to get to Britain from a poorer place so that I might improve my life chances, the chances of my family to improve theirs. My own grandparents were economic migrants into this country. So clearly I have no animus towards them. I believe that this country needs controlled immigration. Controlled immigration. Not dinghies arriving on the beach, but controlled immigration that benefits our economy and the people already living here. That's a sane immigration policy. And as I've often said, I would prioritize the British Commonwealth from Australia to Zambia as the source of the limited number of immigrants allowed into Britain each year, according to the needs of our economy. And because we have a potential demographic time bomb ticking in this country, with not enough children, in a country where people live longer and longer, uh, we obviously need either a big boost to the birth rate, or we need some migrants or a combination of them both. I prefer the first. I want to boost our birth rate. I've done my bit on that as the father of six children. But if we want to have enough people of working age, working and paying tax to keep us in our ever longer old age, then we have to do something about one or both of those fronts. But controlled immigration, Victor, is not people that you don't know, have no idea of their intentions, arriving on your beach, and if possible, and for many of them it is possible, to melt off, still in the hands, of a criminal underground to God knows where to do God knows what. Victor, thanks for that call. A very noble and fine man is released from prison on Tuesday. A prison he should never have been in. I refer, of course, to the Honourable Craig Murray, the former British ambassador to Uzbekistan. That's right, a former British ambassador is currently in prison. He was imprisoned for telling the truth, and not even the whole truth, for he knew the whole truth and could have imparted it, but for the legal restrictions on him doing so. He didn't break the law, but he's been in prison. A man of such seniority and poor health has spent the last couple of months in a dungeon in Nicola Sturgeon's Scotland, one of a long line of people who have fallen foul of the government in Edinburgh. His crime was to be a supporter of the former nationalist First Minister of Scotland, Alex Salmond, and to have stood up resolutely, as indeed I did myself, for Salmond's innocence. And when we were vindicated by a majority women jury who cleared, acquitted Salmond on every single count, that was not the end. And poor Craig was hunted down, prosecuted and sent to prison. He comes out on Tuesday, I hope with his prison diaries in his satchel, which I hope will be a bestseller. And I extend now the invitation to him to join us next Sunday to talk about what must have been a searing experience for a man of his calibre to spend months in a Scottish Victorian dungeon. One of his stalwart supporters is Dr Deepa Driver, who is also one of Julian Assange's stalwart supporters as is the Honourable Craig Murray. Maybe the Julian Assange thing has more to do with what happened to the Honourable Craig Murray than we thought. Let's find out. Dr. Deepa Driver joins us now. Dr. Deepa, always a pleasure to see you. What news have you of uh, Craig's release? When does he come out through the gates? Do you want people to go and greet him as he does and what kind of health is he now in after what must have been a very grim experience.
5: Thanks George and um, thank you so much for constantly standing up for both Julian and Craig in in all the forums that you're participating in. Uh, Craig will be out on Tuesday at 10am outside and there is a protest, not a protest, a welcome party, so to to speak, outside Socton Prison in Edinburgh at 10am.
3: Let me spell that for people, uh, Doctor, Uh, it's S-A-U-G-H-T-O-N. So please, if you can be there on Tuesday at 10am, outside the prison gates, to give a warm cheer uh, to the Honourable Craig Murray, that would be terrific. Sorry Doctor, please carry on.
5: No, thank you, thank you for clarifying that. Um, Craig is planning to give a speech when he comes out and share his experiences. Um, he wrote to me a few weeks ago um, about um, about the birthday event that we held for him online in his absence. And one of the things he says is that he's quite sure, having been in the prison, that the intention was to silence him. Um, he's... He's clearly been through a lot while in the prison. He says it is a, it is what it is typical of British prisons, and that a number of people in the prison are, you know, there are serial killers in there in the high security wing where he was based, and there are also a number of people largely suffering from addiction and deprivation. And um, it, typical of Craig, he's a very humane and kind man. Um, he also has a good word for the prison. Staff there who he says are coping with a very broken system. But one of the nicest things that he said was not only is, uh, you know, he, he knows he was put in there to, to make sure he was silenced and he was not around for Julian's extradition appeal hearings um, a few weeks ago. But although he was silenced temporarily, he's raring to go and he's looking forward to being with friends and supporters.
3: And in fact, doctor, his voice will be amplified by this foolish... I mean, it's not just that what uh, the Scottish judges did uh, was wicked. It was also extremely stupid because Craig will exit the prison with bigger platforms, with a louder voice, and I hope a best-selling book in his satchel. How stupid is that?
5: Well, um, you're absolutely right. I think many people see him as a hero, as somebody who has stood up for what's right and been uh, punished for using very, very spurious reasons. What, um, for those of your viewers who don't know, Craig was, contem- was convicted of contempt of court. Um, you would think that that was because he revealed some of the names of Alex Salmon's accusers, which is what was pro- you know, prohibited by the court. But that's not why he was imprisoned. He didn't reveal any names. In fact, he was caught on a very, very arcane uh, uh, ruling of um, jigsaw identification, suggesting that Craig provided some information, which if put together with pieces of information that may have been in the public domain, could have potentially identified someone. So it's not clear to him or to us whom he identified, and it's not been made clear how he identified them. In fact, the way in which the judgment is constructed, it criminalizes journalism. It makes a difference between um, bloggers and uh, independent journalists and those who work for the mainstream media. And it, it suggests that the mainstream media is somehow to be held, uh, to be held in greater reverence because huh. they are of a higher standard.
3: I told you they were stupid.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
3: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
5: <laughs> Indeed, I, 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 I'm always cautious about saying that about a judge, but uh, it does seem very cruel and vindictive, especially given that Craig was told that he um, wasn't allowed to serve community service because his health was too poor. And yet, for the last four Ah, months, ah. he has been confined in Socton Prison. uh, His health
3: was too poor to serve community service, but not so poor that he couldn't be thrown into a prison cell in a maximum security wing in a Victorian dungeon.
5: Indeed, and during COVID, when he has serious heart and other conditions. In fact, one of the, you know, one of the, nasty things they did about a week and a half ago was Craig had to go to the hospital for a medical appointment. And when he was, he is a civil prisoner. What that means is he's not committed any criminal act. And one, of, you know, just for your viewers, because he, criminal prisoners are let out an early release, Craig didn't benefit from that because the, the law in Scotland hasn't been correctly developed to allow cr- civil prisoners to um, get the same benefits as criminal prisoners anyway he's been in prison for four months not got any of the benefits of being a, a civil prisoner but then when he was supposed to go to the hospital they strip searched him and they wanted to manacle him as he went into edinburgh hospital and it's a very humiliating experience for a man who who you know firstly he has never tried to escape from prison, he has never jumped bail, he handed himself in. He's a civil prisoner, he's a non-violent prisoner, he's a peaceful man, a very high highly intellectual man. And to find that he is treated in this absolutely despicable way to humiliate and degrade him and drag him through the streets of Edinburgh in manacles shows you how vindictive and cruel the system is. And uh, this is certainly not the way Craig or indeed anybody else should be treated.
3: It's absolutely unspeakable. I did read that, that a British ambassador in prison on a civil matter who would have been given community service if he had not been in such poor health, I'm racking up the contradictions here, should be handcuffed to go to hospital. it It is beyond despicable, Doctor. It is maniacal. It is obscene, this latest chapter in the incarceration and persecution of the Honourable Craig Murray. Uh,
5: and you know, one of the things that we have to take away from this is uh, that Craig, Julian, Stephen Dunziger in the US, Daniel Hale, the drone whistleblower in again in the US, um, David McBride, the Australian Defense Forces whistleblower who revealed serious criminality uh, among Aussie forces in Iraq. All of these people are now in prison, imprisoned by the very criminals who are, you know, causing havoc in the world, causing spending huge amounts of money on military budgets. I heard you say earlier to Um, one of your listeners about the fact that the problems lie with the people in charge and how they run our economy and how they uh, spend our money. And most of the money is being spent on military expenses to kill, bomb and destroy people in the poorest countries of the world. Hiring young men and women from this country who are in very, very poor conditions themselves and training them to be killers to go and destroy somebody else who has done nothing to them. So okay. it is It is important that we stand with people like Craig and Julian, who, as you know, has been in Belmarsh prison. One of the h- horrific things, I, I, if I may, I'll share with um, your, view, your listeners is that um, Julian, while he was in prison, was apparently given an HIV test. Now, most of us who know about the accuracy of these tests, know that they are highly accurate. The test came back saying it was positive. And then when Julian was retested separately, it turned out that he was negative. So the amount of psychological torture the state is putting these people through, which seems, you know, each one of these instances seem, oh, maybe it's a small mistake, maybe it's a problem, maybe there's a there's an issue. But actually, when you look at the big picture and look at what's happening time and time and time again, you realise that there is an intense amount of torture and intense amount of focus put on uh, journalists and whistleblowers, independent people, by those who are the real criminals. And we must stand up to them now.
3: The criminals have made it a crime to report on the criminal acts that they have carried out. That's the long and the short of it. Dr Deepa, if you are talking with the Honourable Craig Murray, please give him the show's very best regards. I appreciate you coming on the show. Now, as I often say, in a sane world, my next guest would be the President of the United States, or at least the Secretary of State. He is the writer and broadcaster and colleague of mine on RT America, Chris Hedges. Chris, uh, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure uh, to see you. Can I begin by asking you about the uh, trial that begins I think tomorrow, uh, of a rather famous woman around these parts, formerly of this parish, by the name of Ghislaine Maxwell. What can you tell us, Uh, is that being eagerly anticipated, or are people not really much occupied by it now?
1: No, I I think it'll it'll get some traction. Uh, It's a fascinating case, because it has so many legal anomalies. Uh, there's strong evidence that uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, m- may not have killed himself, may have been murdered. Uh, certainly the Julie Brown, who the investigative reporter for the Miami Herald, who's done uh, the most extensive work on the case, believes quite firmly that he was murdered. Uh, there are uh, supposedly uh, caches of videotapes that Epstein had set up security cameras in his residences, including in his bathrooms, uh, that have all sorts of figures on them, from uh, Bill Clinton to Donald Trump to Ehud Barak. Uh, those have all vanished. Uh, I assume the FBI has them. We don't know where they are. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell uh, herself, uh, who, who procured these underage women for Epstein and for his friends uh, obviously knows a lot. Uh, a lot of people think that they're gonna strike some kind of a deal uh, to protect the circle that he's in. And many of the other procurers, uh, she was the only one, have never been charged. It, there, there's, uh, so yeah, I think there's interest in it uh, uh, from just from the salacious standpoint. I'm interested in it just because it seems quite clear Uh, that all sorts of powerful people who ran in his circle uh, are not only never gonna be charged, but never called out.
3: Quite so, Uh, and all the things you've just said, uh, in a way answer what was my next question, which is, why isn't this going to be televised? We see from O.J. Simpson onwards, uh, we had a camera in every courtroom, it seemed. The Rittenhouse uh, 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 trial just uh, ended just last week. Was endlessly televised. Uh, Why would this case, involving as it does uh, all these big names, not be televised?
1: Well, I think that there's clearly uh, powerful forces at work uh, that intend to cover up uh, the activities of all sorts of members of the ruling elite on both of the political divides, Republicans and Democrats of many Harvard academics, including Steven Pinker, Alan Dershowitz, Larry Summers, uh, Bill Gates. I mean, all these people, uh, you're talking about the ruling elite. Uh, And that's why a lot of people suppose that some kind of a deal will be made with Ghislaine Maxwell uh, to keep her quiet. Uh, But if there's been one constant throughout this case, we go back 10 years uh, to the initial charges against Epstein, it's that all of these people have been protected. I don't see that changing.
3: No, uh, I mean, uh, important as the sexual crimes are, and if if true, the allegations are horrific and uh, despicable, the bigger picture is, uh, for me, even more important. It's quite clear to me, as an observer, and as someone who knows the Maxwell family extremely well, uh, that this was all an intelligence operation from the beginning, that although uh, disgusting, dirty men were doing dirty things to underage girls, the real purpose was to get the goods on those people uh, for exploitation, commercial and political, uh, and intelligence. Is that how you
1: see it? Well, in the court documents, there is a reference to Epstein working at least as an FBI informant. Uh, so, yes, that, I think it, you know, we know that as a fact. Uh, if you look at the way intelligence services operate anywhere in the world, of course, blackmail is key. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover had files on all of the powerful. It's why they could never remove him. Uh, in order to keep them in check, uh, so I, I think we're, we're we are wandering into a field of speculation, but I don't think it's unreasonable speculation. Um, and of course, he had very Epstein had very close ties to Israel. So, um, but but uh, we, other than that uh, reference within the court documents of him having a working relationship with the FBI, I don't know that we have anything hard on which to uh, argue that this was an intelligence operation, uh, but it certainly smells like one.
3: Well, it's just that when you get uh, a very powerful and, uh, and significant figures, former presidents, former prime ministers, uh, members of royal families, uh, regularly in attendance of a man now proven to have been uh, a sex criminal, Uh, you've got to ask yourself, what did all these people, Bill Gates uh, and so on, what what did all these people see in this Jeffrey Epstein? Did they just enjoy his company, his taste in art? Uh, It's kind of obvious that they were drawn into uh, his web somehow. And the fact that videos and recording devices of all kinds were in use in his various palatial homes leads me at least simple guy me uh... to believe that these people were effectively being blackmailed
1: yeah i mean look he stole fifty million dollars from wexler who was the head of victoria's secret and wexler never wanted to charge him. so uh... there that begs the question uh... what did epstein have on wexler that made wexler want to swallow fifty million dollars Again, these are all questions that have not been answered, and I suspect, given the panoply of figures involved, will probably never be answered. I, uh, My supposition is that the FBI has these tapes, which means no one will ever see them.
3: Let's turn to Cheerier Matters, uh, your president. Uh, h- how is he doing? He looked pretty poorly the last time I saw him, but he's now promising that his stimulus package is going to deliver the goods. How is that going down in America?
1: Not well, uh, as the opinion polls have uh, repeatedly shown. He just announced, by the way, that he's running, will be running for re-election in 2024, and all the polls show that in a matchup with Donald Trump, he would lose. Uh, most of this money, uh, what was going to directly towards people in need, has been sliced out, uh, largely by lobbyists in Washington. So the bill will funnel large sums of money uh, to you know, either to the states or to corporations. Uh, but you know, trickle down economics has uh, long been exposed as a kind of farce. Uh, very little will reach the people in need, and. Um, Uh, But, you know, that's not surprising. Biden has served corporate interests. They used to call him Senator Credit Card. He was out of the state of Delaware, where, for tax reasons, a lot of large credit card companies are located, who, by the way, at the time, employed his son, Hunter Biden, uh, for, uh, you know, astronomical sums. Uh, He was anointed, picked. Uh, by the ruling elite to carry on the disastrous policies that have given rise to figures like Trump and the deep malaise, frustration and anger, most most of it legitimate, on the part of a working class and especially a white working class that has been dispossessed uh, and uh, been dispossessed by both parties. Both parties have been complicit in this, which is why the established Republican elite has large, people like Liz Cheney, for instance, the son of uh, the daughter of uh, Dick Cheney, the vice president, uh, because she's against Trump, is largely uh, bonded now with the Democratic Party elite, along all these figures, uh, traditional figures on the of the Republican leadership, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, uh, the, the people who George uh,
3: Bush, George W. Bush, George
1: Bush, right, exactly. So. Um, uh, I think Biden almost guarantees uh, loss for the Democrats in uh, the House and the Senate in 2022, uh, and I think assures uh, the rise in 2024 of either Trump or a Trump like figure, Pompeo de, de Santos, the governor of Florida. Uh, uh, I don't know who, we don't know who it will be but it will be somebody in that vein.
3: Uh, All of which begs a question. Uh, I've asked you it before. Uh, Forgive me asking it again. You can't blame the elite for seeking to get a president that will be pliable to them uh, into the White House, but how come Joe Biden was the best that they could find? What is it about the American political system? It could equally apply Here, to Boris Johnson, I readily concede. uh, How come Joe Biden's the best that corporate America could put up to be president?
1: Because the system's ossified. It doesn't work. The Democratic and Republican parties don't function as real political parties. There is no base. It's all spectacle. It's driven by insane amounts of money a billion dollars it takes in order to run a presidential campaign. You can't run for the House of Representatives unless you raise millions of dollars. Well, where does that money come from and who are you beholden to? So the entire system is seized up. Uh, And I think Biden is kind of emblematic of how ossified, anemic, and largely, at least in terms of popular support, irrelevant it is. Uh, you know, you look at the the decay of any uh, system, late Weimar Germany, who did they cough up? Franz von Papen. Uh, and uh, that didn't last too long. So I think we're watching a, a similar process whereby the political system is so decayed, it's manifested in a figure, a decayed figure like Biden.
3: Chris Hedges, always a pleasure, a real pleasure to hear you. Thank you very much indeed oh, uh, for Our uh, next guest, final us. guest, is Shadia Edwards-Dashti, my RT uh, colleague uh, here in London, and I'm glad to say she joins us now. Shadia, thanks for joining us. Uh, a slight rush now because of the pressure of uh, calls and so on. Uh, so can I go quickly into asking you a question that may not be the most important question that you or I have contemplated this week. But it's an interesting one. We've got a poll running. Should MPs be allowed to bring their babies into the parliamentary chamber? This, as you know, uh, arises from a Labour MP by the name of Stella Creasy, uh, very far from a friend of mine, uh, but who is a new mother uh, with a young baby and sought to, on a sling, bring the baby into the chamber and was blocked by the House authorities for having uh, uh, done so. Uh, What's your take on that? Is this an issue that is worth uh, campaigning about? Is it worth arguing about? I personally think it is, but go ahead. Give me your view.
6: George, friend or foe, Labour or Tory, comrade or not, a woman is a woman, a mother is a mother, and absolutely we should be advocating and standing in solidarity with a mother who is simply trying to do her job, both jobs, a mother and a politician, all in one simultaneously, trying to do the best she can. And we should totally uh, be making it a safe space, a good space, and a welcome space for her to be able to, to exercise both jobs and do them to the best of her ability. So, yes, I absolutely would say she should, as any mother should, have a right to be in the House of Commons, a space that's supposed to be uh, a safe one to represent the entire nation. Uh, We should be in a safe space to allow her to do so.
3: Well, I'm glad uh, that we've got agreement uh, on that. Uh, uh, All kinds of uh, things are brought into the House of Commons, some of them illegal substances, uh, one hears. Uh, the idea that uh, a tiny baby uh, actually strapped on to its mother uh, is somehow uniquely offensive is uh, quite extraordinary. Um, the, the the parliament is supposed to be, it's called the House of Commons, uh, is supposed to be uh, a chamber, it isn't really, but it's supposed to be a chamber in which the country, the nation, all the people of the nation, men and women, black and white, gay and straight, with children, without children, uh, are there in the crucible, if you like. This seems to me a ridiculous decision by the House authorities uh, on, on that. However, there's bigger, if you like, bigger issues coming up this week. It's just been announced that the SNP have tabled a motion of no confidence in Boris Johnson uh, that will have to be heard uh, in this coming week at Westminster. Now ordinarily you wouldn't put too much store by that because if the SNP are the only people to vote for it, it's going nowhere. But given that there's now a dozen Tory MPs have themselves tabled a motion inside the Conservative Party expressing no confidence in Boris Johnson, It just might get a little bit tasty. What do you think?
6: Well, it's a very telling time when your own pals are turning their backs on you, isn't it, George? Of course, if Boris Johnson is now seeing those uh, people that are supposed to be backing him now saying, actually, uh, we need to be pointing the finger of blame directly at you, you," that is quite a worrying space for Boris Johnson to be in. We know that tabling a motion of no confidence is no uh, trivial matter. It's actually incredibly uh, serious, particularly when it's people within the Tory party are Doing it. We haven't uh, often seen that. But what that goes to show really is that I'm not saying anything good about the Labour Party. I don't think this has anything to do with uh, the successes of the Labour Party, but really goes to show just how many failures uh, Boris Johnson is guilty of uh, at the moment. It's not just about the pandemic anymore. Of course, that alone was enough to have a go at Boris Johnson. But At the moment, the current political uh, climate we are seeing sleaze after sleaze allegations. Then, of course, these tragic deaths in the English Channel, that's two big things in just a week. And so it's no wonder now that people are saying Boris Johnson is just not up to scratch. He's not leading the country. He never has led the country in anything. He's now leading the country into complete failure and political failure at that.
3: Well, uh, that's interesting that you say so. I, I, I feel the same looking at him. I've never, of course, regarded him highly, but I, I, I always thought he had a certain uh, je ne sais quoi uh, that won him elections and, and allowed him to busk through uh, very difficult circumstances. But he strikes me as someone who has begun to lose his grip. Uh, he, it's one damn thing after another as you say. And now that we appear to be heading back into more trouble on the COVID front, you just wonder if a a critical mass is not developing inside the Conservative Party, perhaps being encouraged by his next-door neighbour, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, Rishi Sunak, wouldn't be the first Chancellor uh, to be intriguing against their boss, Gordon Brown being just the most recent and famous. Uh, what's your feeling? Uh, is he here for the foreseeable or might he be moving into difficult circumstances?
6: Totally moving into difficult circumstances at this point, particularly as you raise the COVID pandemic. If we look at his tenure, it's pretty much been predicated by uh, the virus and the political climate yeah. that that's come with. So what we're really looking at is a. Uh, prime minister that hasn't really uh, had to deal with an awful lot but even what he's had to deal with is pretty tragic in terms of a political uh, timeline so looking at the pandemic then what we've seen is total mixed messages uh, going to the public we've heard eat out to help out then stay at home stay in your bubble go to work but don't get on the public transport use a car but of course we're going to whip you with a congestion charge so the public are just like what should I do and now as we go back into a uh, a possible uh, lockdown in the imminent future maybe or maybe not either way the public are just looking at the current government thinking, I don't trust you, I don't believe you, you're telling me now to put masks back on, but are you wearing masks? We look at Boris Johnson in COP26, he wasn't wearing one, nor was he wearing one in hospitals at the height of the pandemic. We saw him at the beginning of the pandemic shaking people's hands that had COVID. So when it comes to looking at uh, the political paradigm at the moment, through the lens of a pandemic, you just think, Boris Johnson, you've got no clue why should I believe you? Why should I trust you? And if you look at this specific point, which affects every single person, whether or not you're on the left or right or not even bothered about politics at all, everybody is affected by the pandemic and every political rule affects the public. And now they're interested in politics and they're thinking, hang on a minute, something's not quite right here. I don't trust you. And that is why I think Boris Johnson's time is up.
3: Very interesting. We've got big by-elections coming up. Uh, Do you think the Tories have anything to fear in any of those?
6: Well, the Tories are in some ways something to fear because that's all that the politics is known to be at the moment. Unfortunately, we have a very weak opposition. And so it's Feels as though politics is becoming even more polarised. Either you're at this absolute extreme, or you're part of the Tory party. Unfortunately, Keir Starmer is doing nothing to really challenge uh, the status quo at the moment. So it's a really difficult time to be engaged in politics. In my opinion, I personally feel politically homeless because my home is not in the Labour Party at the moment. So on that. In that sense, you may feel, okay, the Tories might have a good chance in these by-elections, but then I'm an activist. So I'm always gonna be on the side of momentum, people working together to fight that status quo, to fight against the establishment. And I'm never gonna sit here and say that I think it's gonna be in a walk in the park for the Tory party.
3: Shadia, as always, fantastic. Thanks very much for touring the British horizon with us this evening. I've got got about 30 calls waiting to be put through. Uh, Let me tell you again about that poll. Should MPs be allowed to bring their babies into the parliamentary chamber? Yes, 19%. No, 81%. Shadi and I very much in a minority uh, there. Uh, Now, who's this caller? The People's Republic of South Yorkshire is on the line. Tell. Tell. My
7: name's my name's Tell.
3: You're welcome, mate. The People's said, Republic of South Yorkshire used to be David Blunkett. Look what happened to him.
7: Oh well, it's funny you mention him, George, because I was campaigning for him back in 1987 in Brightside, stood really? on the stage with him of the Sheffields Trades. I uh, remember
3: when he declared uh, he twinned the city of Sheffield with Nicaragua. Uh, he declared right. he declared that. Sheffield was now a nuclear-free zone, whatever that meant. Uh, but now, <laughs> no.
7: No, it's funny. It's funny you mention uh, Floyd as well because uh, I used to back in 1987. I used to be managed by uh, Pete Jenner, who was Floyd's original
3: manager. Oh, really? So you were in yeah. the music business?
7: I was uh, in a band called The Way a long time ago, okay. um, and we did a, After the Redskins split, we did a lot of benefits uh, for the.
3: All of that went right over my head there, Tell. <laughs> <laughs> we would better move on. What would you like to say? You never listened to the Redskins, I'm No, I've never heard the Redskins. I've never heard You'd of the them, Wii. Mate.
7: You'd love them, You'd love them. would Would I? Yeah,
3: the Redskins are very politically incorrect name nowadays, Tell.
7: It is now, but the back then uh, they, they were the, the premier band during the miners' strike, put really? it that way. Really?
3: Yeah. I'll check yeah, them out. Yeah. I'll check there's them out. Sorry, them I, keep, freak, I keep bro- making you digress. Make, yes, your, you are. make your point, brother.
7: Because I'm slightly disappointed in some of your language tonight. Oh, yeah? Yes, I am. Uh, I, I believe that there's a. You, you know, there's been a growing right wing movement, and any, anything that we can do to stop the rise of the right, who have taken this uh, crossing of the channel as a cause celebre, uh-huh. anything we can do to, to dampen that? to me is...
3: Uh, what do you want me to do? Pretend, right it, pretend it's necessary. not happening?
7: And we have to show compassion. Do you want me to we pretend to it's everything. not happening? Well, it has to happen, George. And, and, I, and I speak for a lot of people that I, that I know you're friends with who, who would agree with me on this. It's, it's a very delicate time. And when children, babies are dying in the channel, right, OK? We know, we know that... France and the EU, they're to, they're to blame for a lot of the crisis, but we caused the wars in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and we're supplying bombs to Yemen, we're, we're arming... Yeah, of course, up. I know, well,
3: I know uh, all that. we
7: spend the money on the wrong things, no, and my uh, point uh, I, is I know, this job. I
3: know all that, but are you in favour of open borders?
7: I'm, 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 I'll tell you, mate, you've, you've hit the right guy tonight because I'm not in favour of flags, I'm not in favour of, bo- of borders... I'm a, in favour of spaceship Earth, mate, and, and well, you that, might see that as a really a silly, silly course, and ignorant thing that, to that,
3: say, that, That's of course uh, a point of view. It's it generally is. held it's by Reagan's it's generally held. Trump and Einstein. But, it's generally held by liberals and Trotskyites and uh, the you most uh, uh, and the most uh, naked free market capitalists, because uh, they are the people who want no borders. They are the people. Who want all of Afghanistan to be allowed to come in and live in Britain? They're, they're um, the people who think that anybody in the world should be able to go to any other country and live there. Uh, I, but I, I represent what? the workers. Tell, I stand for. I, I stand for the working class in Britain, and the working class in Britain would be utterly devastated by any such policy. Can't you see? That's right. I, could I just make
7: one last point before before you? Because you yeah. obviously got a lot of yeah, coal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my point's always this: take a trip up in a plane over the UK mm. and see mm. how the land's divided, and which it's built on, and how how unfair and unequal it is. We've got lords, earls, viscounts, dukes, barons.
3: These are all temples. just tropes.
7: These they're are all tropes. You tell and you health, tell the my my pe- you
3: tell the workers. In South they Yorkshire, have
7: to rise. that because they have, to rise and they have to take back the lands that were taken from them in this country and the wealth, and, 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 le-
3: and, and give give them to the people of Afghanistan to come and live here. So
7: we have to. The people of the world are all human beings. We all bleed. Well, red we light. are,
3: but we live in a world that is based upon nation states, and we know died in the channel were Iraqis. No, no, they were Iraqi Kurds. That's right. That's right. They were Iraqi Kurds.
7: There's been no war. They could have probably made an ex- excellent contribution to this country.
3: The, 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 but this country can only accept a controlled number, a limited number of, of legal, of legal of Qatar, immigrants. Of United and Arab Emirates,
7: no, uh, Russians.
3: Listen, no. Kurd, Iraqi Kurds don't speak Arabic, mate. Uh, there has been no war in Iraqi Kurdistan... Since 1990, do you well, understand the that? The for asylum in Germany,
7: in Sweden, in France. Do you, you know that? Do you,
3: do, you, do you concede my point? These Iraqi Kurds are not fleeing from war. They're not fleeing from us. We, the were, their children.
7: we were, were their allies. We were their allies.
3: Tell. We we uh, actually uh, control. Iraqi Point Kurdistan
7: been beaten my friend. I put the phone down. Anyway, have a good have a good week my friend all the best to you
3: Wow Did you run away? Uh, Cornelius in Swansea. Let's hear from him. Go ahead Cornelius Evening George. How are you mate? All right. I get annoyed at these uh, This parade of I liberal think- tropes and then they run away from the argument go ahead.
8: I, uh, I think your last call, must have been smoking too much weed or something, pal, because... No, I'm, I'm sure not. Her.
3: I'm sure not. <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
8: Well, the, the reason why I quickly called, because uh, I was listening to you having a conversation just now with that young lady that's part of you were team, like, and she... Shadia, yeah, she's
3: wonderful, yeah.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, she's not so wonderful, talking about uh, um, uh, um, a Labour MP who thinks it's right to take a, a newborn baby into Parliament while there's heated debate and and, um, I wish,
3: I
9: wish, Cornelius, right
3: I, it. I wish there was heated debate. <laughs> I wish there was heated nonsense. debate.
4: Well, it is deep. Well, here, w- but w- you, w- like what just,
3: you know, look, uh, I wouldn't take my baby into the chamber of the House of Commons because uh, I don't like the company. Uh, but if she wants to take her, it's not newborn, by the way, it's a few months old, uh, take her yeah. baby of a few months into the House yeah. of Commons chamber, why not? There's people with cocaine in their pockets in the House of Commons chambers.
8: Yeah, yeah, but the people who are sitting in the chamber with cocaine in their, pocket, in their pockets is, will not interrupt any conversation that's going on, will they?
3: Well, what, what, what's your problem George, with that if the, baby, George, if if the baby wakes up? Is that your point?
8: Hang, no, George, if the child wakes up and all of a sudden is crying and if you've got one person with a child and then you've got ten people with a child, child children in there and everybody's screaming and dancing... Get real, for God's sake. Why should this MP should be the only woman on the planet to get her way by taking a child into the workplace? There's plenty of crashes. She's in exactly the same position as any woman in the world that is working and has a family to support.
3: End of. OK, Cornelius, I, I wish I had time to argue with you, but I don't. Good call, though. Susan in Glasgow. Let's hear from her.
9: Go ahead, Susan. Uh, Hello, George. Hi. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. And to you. And everybody listening. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, uh, I want to talk about Donbass. Oh, yes. Uh, The conflict in eastern Ukraine, which people may not know, has now killed about 14,000 people. Wow,
3: even I didn't Uh, know that. uh, uh,
9: Civilians and combatants. And I must confess that I am partisan here. I am very much on the side of the so-called separatists in the east of uh, Ukraine who took up arms, who I think were really forced to take up arms because of an illegal coup that took place in Ukraine about seven years ago, uh, where the elected leader Yanukovych was run out of power and a leader, I can't even remember his name, it might have been Poroshenko, but it was some dummy, storefront dummy, that was put in charge. Yeah, this was an American, American EU, regime
3: change uh, operation.
9: Uh-huh. By the EU in America. Yeah. And uh, the people re- rebelled because their government had been overthrown, and they also rebelled because the people who seized power were backed by neo-Nazis, and they're backed by people who have a love affair with the Nazi collaborator in the second world war uh exactly, so.
3: exactly so and no, and indeed no, no. the Russian language was was immediately declared uh to be no longer an official language of the state
9: that's that's right so I mean there are at least three reasons cultural political social why the people in eastern ukraine Want to take their distance of this uh, coup regime that's ongoing in Kiev?
3: Well, you're absolutely but, right, Susan. I, I, because of the hour, I'll have to I cut need, it short. Uh, well, make one last point. Uh-huh.
9: No, right. One last point is that I've been following on Twitter a very important freelance photographer who has been documenting the ongoing conflict from Donbass in eastern Ukraine for a number of years now. And I would love it if you would consider inviting him on your show to speak about Donbass. Okay. His name is Dean O'Brien.
3: Dean O'Brien, on... if you could make a note of that uh, in, the, in the gallery. I need to press on, Susan. Thanks for the oh. tip. I promise you that we'll do that. Uh, Lewis, in my own hometown of Dundee, he's up next. Go ahead, Lewis.
7: Proud to be back. Um, this one's a bit of a long one, but it's relating to what you, uh, uh, what I asked you last, um, last week. Ah. So I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let
3: you know uh, when it's finished so you can answer. <laughs> Very good of <clears throat> you. Thank you. Go ahead. When I asked you about your distaste of Trotskyites, yeah. I'd like to
4: ask about when you mentioned ultra-leftism, yes. wrecking socialist movements. Yes. What do you mean by those terms? And when you also said scratching
3: a trotsky, you'll usually find a liberal. Yeah.
7: What are the similarities between the two? Uh, lots, yeah, mean, lots.
3: What, I, I can't like, let you go on, time. Lewis, because the hour <laughs> is very late. Uh, I have spoken, uh, and I did last week, you now remind me, uh, and written uh, about this uh, many times. Uh, the, uh, the reality is that the kind of ultra-leftism that you've heard on here this evening, uh, of no borders, every human being should be allowed to come here, anybody that's in need should be allowed to come in Britain, is so otherworldly as to guarantee uh, the oblivion of the socialist idea and the socialist movement. I'm the leader of the Workers' Party of Britain. In fact, I've got a big meeting coming up in Birmingham uh, if people are interested in that. Uh, uh, Oh, I've got a call. I've got a call about it. Uh, But as the leader of the Workers' Party of Britain, I have to guard the interests of the working people in Britain because it does what it says on the tin. Now, I mean white workers and black workers and brown workers and workers of all orientations from all kinds of places. I mean everybody who is in Britain and who has to work for a living. I've got to try and win them to the project that I believe in. And if you were to walk in to any workplace, any working man's club, any trade union gathering on the shop floor anywhere and tell them that your policy was to knock down the borders and allow everybody to come here, they'd think you were utterly mad. And you would be. Uh, Lauren in Birmingham, about the very meeting I just started telling you about. <laughs> Go ahead, Lauren.
10: Yes, hi, George, uh, great show as always. Thank you. Um, just wanted to uh you know uh say we're really looking forward to seeing you on friday um we've been out in birmingham today in the snow speaking to uh working people of the city uh inviting them and encouraging them to come along on friday and people are really excited to see you to see chris williamson to hear some great uh local uh music artists and um you know to hear about the vision that we have for the city so i just want to You know, give it a bit of a plug, but uh, thank you and just say, yeah, we're really excited to uh, see you on Friday.
3: Thanks. Just tell us uh, again quickly where, when, what time?
10: Yeah, so this Friday, 3rd of December at 7pm. It'll be at our office on Moseley Road in Highgate, which is number 274. It's just near the old fire station for anyone who's local. I'm sure they'll, they'll know. Um, but it's also, you can find the information on our um, Twitter page, Brumworker, or on our blog, birminghamworker.org.
3: Fantastic, Lauren. Thanks for making that call. Uh, uh, save me making the announcement myself. Last call of the evening is Kenny in Acton. Go ahead, Kenny.
11: Good evening, George.
3: Good evening, sir. I'm
11: just in my last delivery. I think you're aware I work as a motorcycle courier with Uber Eats.
3: Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. I well. yes, yes.
11: Yesterday I made 200 quid because of the weather. So there weren't enough couriers on. So the Uber Eats put the promotions up. And this will, tonight will take me up to 190 quid in about 10 hours. So in the space of two days, I've made nearly 400 quid. That's incredible, isn't it?
3: It's what so that's what nineteen pound an hour, twenty pound an hour. Yeah, it's obviously better than a poke in the eye with a dry stick. It's yes. better than the uh, better than the average it gets uh, much wage. You're the having to, you're having to run a boot on a motorbike in this weather. It's it's hardly uh, extravagant.
11: I know, but i I got warm enough clothes and under thermals. Anyway, oh. I've got a, a rock and roll trivia question for you.
3: All right, quickly though which
11: rock and roll film featured this song. She's got sugar dip kisses and cherry dip charms. I melt like butter in the honey-filled arms. She's a kick picking baby and I love her pies. She's a cinnamon sinner selling lollipop lies. Was it A, Jailhouse Rock, B, The Girl Can't Help It, or C, Rock, Rock, Rock?
3: I honestly don't know. I I don't think I've ever heard that song before. So quickly tell me.
11: It's B, The Girl Can't Help It, which features uh, Little Richard, Eddie Cochran, and a few others as well.
3: Jane Mansfield, there's a name from the past. It's been marvellous. Hope you enjoyed it.
2: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.